After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. My welcome. John, you weren't here Friday. It is great to be back. Bit of a theme of Easter, isn't it? Coming back. Get myself organised. Now, I brought my bag because um, it's Easter. And uh, things happen at Easter. Surprises happen at Easter. Now, everywhere, everywhere around the world in churches, when someone at the front says, Christ is risen, everyone says... I don't know, is there people out there? Christ is risen. Yeah. All righty, oh, excellent. We're on a roll here. Now, kids, kids, I need your attention, kids. All right, if you are under the age of 10, all right, Jesus died. Jesus died on a Friday. You ready? Here's the question. How many days after Jesus died and was buried did they find the empty tomb? Anyone? 
Anyone? Any, anyone? Oh, second row. Was that three days? Three days? Wow. Look what I got for you. All right. Now I've got your attention. How many more does he have in the bag? All right. Are we going to be paying attention, everyone? You know, is everyone off their screens? Got your attention. Excellent. All right. So today's number is the number three. Excellent. Good on you. Nah. All right. Good Friday's letter was the letter F. Excellent. Jesus was forsaken to fulfill scripture for our forgiveness. Good Friday. Excellent. So... And uh, we have some letters this morning as well, which I'll get to in a few moments. But let's get into it, and uh, there might be some more goodies along the way, so pay attention. All right, it's nine o'clock. It's Friday morning. Uh, Most historians agree it was April the 7th, AD 33. A man called Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. Matthew records in his Gospel, chapter 27, sentence 55, that many women who had followed Jesus from the beginning were looking on from a distance. And these women included Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. They saw Jesus die. Matthew records that these same two Marys also went and saw the tomb where Jesus' body was buried, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And they saw the great stone that was rolled across the entrance of the tomb. Not just that. Religious leaders worried the disciples might come and steal the body. They sealed the stone and stationed a large company of Roman guards to guard the body. Jesus is dead. He's buried. He's sealed in his tomb. Now, for 2,000 years, people have been searching for the tomb and for the body of Jesus in order to try to explain away the empty tomb, to explain away the resurrection of Jesus and to put all these Christians out of their misery. Now, I think the reason they still haven't been able to find the body of Jesus. It's because there is no body to find. It's Sunday morning, the 9th of April, AD 33, the third day after Jesus' crucifixion, death and burial. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, both who'd witnessed it all, they've gone back to see Joseph of Arimathea's tomb where Jesus' body was buried. And so there they sit with the Roman guard seeing, looking upon the tomb of Jesus with the great sealed stone. Now there we sit with them, looking on. As we're sitting and watching, we remember that actually in the Bible, there are several words used for seeing. The seeing word used here in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, 
it is not that of you know, a passing glance or just a casual look. It's the word for a very slow and careful examination. It's actually the same word that is used to describe the seeing of the women from a distance at Jesus' death and burial. Now, Matthew reports these two Marys, but if you went to Mark chapter 16, verse 1, he says that there was another woman there, at least. Does anyone know the name of who that woman was? Anyone? Joanne, no. At the back? No. This is a tough question, this one. Salome, the mother of Zebedee's sons. But that is near enough. Well done. Give her a clap. Well done, Carolyn. Here you go. All right, I've still got your attention, haven't I? Here's a big bag I brought up. Mmm, righty-o. Matthew helps his readers begin to see Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead through the eyewitness testimony of the two Marys who had followed Jesus. He's particularly focused on these two Marys. And that's the first uh, of, of today's really big points and today's letter. Uh, seeing the resurrected Jesus... And the second big point this morning is speaking the resurrected Jesus so other people can see the resurrected Jesus. And at the moment, we're with these women trying to see the resurrected Jesus. But I want to ask you a question. What do you think the women are feeling at this point? Feeling they've come, they're sitting there looking at the big stone, looking at the tomb of Jesus. What do you think they're feeling sitting at and seeing Jesus' grave. Well, let me ask you another question. What do we feel when we see the death and freshly dug grave of a spouse, a parent, a child, or a close friend? See, death is the end, isn't it? Death is, is the end of a relationship irrevocably and irreparably broken. The women went to see Jesus' grave because this is where they saw the end. The end of Jesus. It was a place they felt the end of Jesus as they saw him buried because they knew it was the end. Because death is the end, isn't it? Are they not looking upon the sober reality of the human condition? Of what's what it means to be human? Death always wins. Mortal flesh will always end up buried under a mound of dirt. What does death leave us feeling? What does death leave behind? We know something 
of the women's grief, don't we? Something of their tears, of their brooding, dark thoughts and, and emptiness, don't we? The women go to see Jesus' grave because having been with Jesus from the beginning, this was where it all ended. But suddenly the ground starts shaking. It's a violent earthquake, just like when Jesus died three days earlier. What's happening? What does it mean? They look up and suddenly a strange, the stone, this great sealed stone is rolled back and, and, the, and the, the being that's, that's rolled the stone back is sitting on the stone. The appearance is like lightning. Clothing is whiter than snow. Now Matthew tells us very clearly, this is not an avenger. <laughs> this is not Thor. <laughs> this is not some demigod. It's the angel of the Lord. In biblical history, an earthquake, the earth shaking, always means that God is doing something really big. It means either that God has turned up in person, someone like Isaiah 29, or that God is speaking, Joel 3, or that God is revealing the reality of his all-powerful sovereign reign. So Psalm 99. Now, another question. Who knows how many earthquakes there are in Matthew's Gospel? Anyone? Oh, so close. What was today's number again? Three, three. Oh. Sorry, I'm at a toddler run. Right now, let's keep going. <laughs> sorry, sorry, that was mean. I'm really sorry. But they are half price at Coles at the moment. <laughs> so that's right, three, three earthquakes. The first earthquake is really easy to miss in Matthew's Gospel. It's when Jesus and his friends were crossing the Sea of Galilee. Do you remember? What's Jesus doing in the front of the boat? Sleeping. And then what's happening? A massive storm. We're told a great storm. Behold, there was a great storm on the sea. That word great storm in Matthew is the word earthquake. It's the same word. The disciples understand that they are perishing. They wake up Jesus. Lord, save us. We're perishing. And Jesus wakes up, have you no faith? And with a word, he commands the wind and the waves to stop. Who is Jesus? What do earthquakes mean? Who is Jesus? He is God with them in the boat. He is the Emmanuel. He is God speaking. He is God reigning and ruling over the world that he created. The second earthquake in Matthew occurs when Jesus perished and died on his cross. We talked about this on Good Friday, didn't we? Matthew records that cosmic apocalyptic signs, when, when, you know, when the world's disturbed, it accompanied Jesus' final cry from his cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
There was a great earthquake, rocks split, tombs were open. And as we learned on Good Friday, this is heaven and earth announcing that God's promised judgment day on the world has arrived. Remember, prophesied in Daniel chapter 12? Except, well, it, it sort of didn't arrive. You see, it didn't arrive on us, did it? It arrived on Jesus' own son. Heaven poured out all of God's wrath and anger on Jesus' own son in our place. Judgment day, our future judgment day when we die, that arrived on Jesus in history. And so we come to Matthew's third recorded earthquake here in Matthew 28, witnessed by the two women who've come to see Jesus' grave. And again, just a little bit of history, because we really, this is not made up. This is all part of God's big cosmic plan to create a new heavens and new earth. 700 years earlier in, the, in his book of Ezekiel, through his prophet Ezekiel, God promised that when his Messiah came, that when the day of great suffering came, that when judgment day came, that when resurrection day came, God said in Ezekiel 37 verse 7, Behold an earthquake. And again, Ezekiel 38 19, There will be a great earthquake on the land of Israel. What is our Creator so, so desperate for His creatures to hear and understand through the women's eyewitness testimony from that day? Well, we come back to this angel of the Lord here, sitting on the stone. We've met this angel before, haven't we, in Matthew's Gospel, right at the beginning? The angel that speaks to, to Matthew, uh, to, I should say to Joseph in a dream. You shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He'll be called the Emmanuel Child, which means God with us. So here we are at the end of Matthew's Gospel, the angel of the Lord appearing with a great earthquake, the women see him. Why? Because Jesus' emptied tomb is God on repeat. He's on repeat. He already said it at Jesus' cross with an earthquake. He's saying it again with another earthquake. This is big. This is enormous. This is cosmic. Death has been defeated by one man, Jesus. Because God's judgment has fallen on one man, Jesus. And God has raised him from the dead to show that the penalty of sin has been paid in full. Your death, my death, anyone who comes to Jesus, the debt of our sin has been paid in full by Jesus on his cross. And so as we think about how humanity should respond to Jesus' rock-splitting, tomb-opening resurrection from the dead day, well, first we meet the guards, don't we? We're told that they're, um, they become like dead men, that they're terrified. In fact, Matthew uses a cool little word here to describe how terrified they are. It's literally, and they quaked. They quaked. 
like dead men, it's a reaction consistent with other visitations from God in the Bible. The irony is that the dead man is meant to be inside the tomb. (laughs) Then, of course, we've got the women. They're also afraid. From seeing the resurrection of Jesus, though, the rest of the chapter is about them speaking the news of the resurrected Jesus so others can also see, hear, understand and be saved. And first, of course, in verse 4, we've got heaven speaking, don't we? Heaven speaking about the resurrection of Jesus. The angel of the Lord there, verses 4 to 7, he says to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said he would. Come and see the place where you saw Joseph of Arimathea lay his body with your own eyes. He's not here. God's messenger. He gives the two Marys four commands. Did you pick them up? They had to come and see. Come and see with their own eyes. The tomb's empty. Then they had to go and tell Jesus' 11 disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead. They would go to Galilee where they will see Jesus too, just as Jesus promised he would. And then suddenly the angel of the Lord is off. He's out of here. And so are the women. But we're told their fear being gradually overrun, overcome with the joyful realisation that this is not the end. Jesus' death and burial wasn't the end. And suddenly they are seeing Jesus themselves. He's alive, seeing Jesus alive and hearing Jesus speak to them. It can't be an hallucination because two people never get the same hallucination. It can't be a ghost. Ghosts don't have feet that the women can be holding on to. How appropriate that their joy has them at Jesus' feet, bowing down, worshipping Jesus, the Emmanuel, who is God with us. Well, suddenly the resurrected Jesus, he's speaking to the women. He says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Heaven speaking to go see. Jesus had told his followers in Matthew 26, 32 that he would suffer and rise from the dead and he would meet them in, in Galilee. Again, here he is. He's just fulfilling scripture, fulfilling scripture. It's all fulfilling scripture, God's will, God's plan in eternity for us. It's the same message the angel gave them. Go speak what you've seen so that my chosen apostles can come and see me as well and believe. And then you've got the two Marys. They're off telling the disciples, the guards, well, they flee back to into Jerusalem, don't they? To report the Jewish religious leaders, everything has happened. And the leaders, they're overjoyed. They can't believe it. What? No way. Jesus has risen. Woohoo! They run to the tomb. They check out the evidence themselves. It's empty. Wow! We got it all wrong. They repent. They believe. Well, actually, no, they don't, do they? No, they don't do any of that. This can't be true. We don't want it to be true. There's too much at stake. Think of all the power we'd have to give up, the control. And all the money we'd have to give up, all that as well. And we'd just have to give up too much if this was true. 
Here's a question for you. How much money do you reckon you'd have to pay off professional soldiers to say, just to lie outright, to say the disciples stole a body under their watch? They have to live the rest of their lives on the run. Their, their reputation as professional soldiers is trashed forever. In fact, they live the rest of their lives fearing for the death penalty for their failure of duty. So how much money do you reckon they had to give them to outright lie? This is another question. Because this sort of little episode here, like the natural flow of the text in Matthew 28 should just go straight to Jesus meeting his disciples in Galilee and their commissioning and stuff. But why is it here? Why does Matthew interrupt Jesus' empty tomb and, and the commission with, with this episode? Well, here's three brief reflections. I'll talk a bit more about this next week. Three brief reflections. The first is that these religious leaders, Jesus called them blind guides earlier in Matthew's Gospel. And they are blind. But their refusal to see, their hardness of heart, their prejudices, the maliciousness of the story. So, and we know that this is what can happen with leaders, because leaders lead people. It's because their malicious blindness, it keeps all of Israel in the dark as well. It's so sad. How instructive of why we must seek to be diligent and faithful to the truth of Scripture in our own leadership and service. It's always what matters most. Attend to yourself. And doing that, attend to those around you. Having had the privilege of serving here for six months, you know, a few years ago, I just want to say it again. Pray every day for your leaders and give thanks to God for them. They're faithful. They love Jesus deeply. They're serving their hearts out for him, for you guys, for the sake of the lost in the region. Encourage them. The second reflection is that the episode of the soldiers and religious leaders, they reveal how hearts that love money more than God, how that can just lead to the ruination of someone's life and that others who are in relationship with that person can get caught up as well and, and have that, their lives ruined. I'm sure we all know people, sadly, where we've seen the reality of this. We, we see it with Judas and his blood money. He goes out and kills himself. The third reflection is whether it's from followers of other religions or from secular humanists, God is clearly telling us again here in Matthew 28 that there has and there always will be opposition to Jesus' followers who try to speak the truth of Jesus to others. That's a given. But I want us to notice, this is not some general vague you know, opposition to God, the idea of God. This is specific opposition to Jesus' death on his cross and the resurrection from the dead opposition. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus didn't die, if he wasn't raised then we're still in our sins, death has not been defeated, we're wasting our time, Christians are to be the most pitied people on the planet. He also says in that chapter that there's eyewitness reports um, of more than 500 people who saw or heard or touched Jesus over 40 days and that many of them are still alive. People could go and check the facts for themselves. 
But for all the theories, the best explanation is still that Jesus rose from the dead. It was Sherlock Holmes who said, when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. A respected non-Christian, Orthodox Jewish historian, his name is Pinchus Lapidi. After carefully examining the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, he said this, I accept the resurrection of Easter Sunday not as an invention of the community of disciples, but as historical evidence. Now, he's not a Christian, but he says the evidence... You've got to conclude the improbable that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And here's my question. The first of a couple of questions to us this morning as we turn for the home stretch. Is not death, is not the reality of your death too real? Is not your life too precious? For you to not carefully examine the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. For Christian followers of here, and I suspect again most of us are. Lots of people I chat with, you know, I quoted a study from the Salvation Army. Just a lot of us are feeling a lot more worn out than we're willing to admit. Mentally wrung out. Then of course you've got the ongoing guilt of sin in our life. Just, just the weariness of the world. C- could the way towards freshening up as a Christian, growing your faith, growing your service, your love for the Lord and those around you, I think it begins here. It, it begins by coming back to these basics, looking again, asking the, God to give you fresh eyes and, and, and a zealousness and a determination to burrow deep into God's word again and just look at the evidence for yourself. Could this be the Easter cure for us from the divine physician this morning? But how do we see Jesus? We weren't there. Well, it's through our ears. Biblical seeing is always through our ears. It's by hearing the word of those who were there. That's why God's given us the scriptures, the eyewitness testimony of those who were there. This earthquaking news, it's God's urgent and ultimate disruption and interruption into our world and into your life this morning. I don't know what what we had planned, but this is God interrupting. Second question. When did the reality of Jesus' emptied grave and bodily resurrection from the dead, when did it quake your world? Like, really quake it. Turn it upside down. Friends, Jesus is risen. He's reigning at God's right hand. Over the coming days, maybe tomorrow morning, When you're next eyeballing yourself in the mirror, doing your hair... Oh, hang on a minute. No, actually, I don't do that anymore. Uh, You've got lots of hair. 
or doing your makeup. If you've got some Easter courage to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, John, is the reality of Jesus' emptied grave and bodily resurrection from the dead what's most quaking my world? Is it dominating my world, controlling my world, compelling me? Friends, Jesus is risen. This isn't just good news. This is, this is earth quaking. Your death is defeated forever. Momentous news. The resurrection of Jesus. It's the whole cosmos quaking to announce that the promise of forgiveness and resurrection life is now available to every human being on the planet. Anyone who hears this good news, understands, turns and puts their trust in Jesus. Friends, because Jesus commands the future, he commands your future, he's already there. What it means is that Jesus can give you, he can give us back our present. The guilt and everything that's, he can give it all back. The healing forgiveness of Jesus' cross for you. The hope of resurrection from your grave. He can give it all back. It means that no one needs to go through this life fearing death and God's judgment. And friends, if death could not hold Jesus in a grave, he, it means that you can't be held in your grave as well. Death cannot hold you there because Jesus has conquered death. He reigns. And so, friends, we need to go out and share this good news. If not share it, avail all of our resources, time, money, whatever it is, to help others share it, speak it. Because the only way any human being can see the resurrected Jesus can understand, believe and be saved, is they've got to hear this good news. They've got to hear it. How can they hear it if there's no one preaching to them? And, and how can that person preach if they're not sent? And so, friends, we've got to keep speaking about this Jesus until he comes back. Because people need to see Jesus to be saved. Let me pray. Merciful Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Matthew 28, Matthew's Gospel. We're here this morning gathered, every one of us, because you brought us here, you want us here, because you want each of us to not just hear what's here in Matthew 28, but to respond. And I pray that you would pour your spirit out on each of us, that you would quake our world. Do whatever you need to, Lord, to get our attention, to turn our hearts, to help us to know the joy of these women on that first resurrection morning, Lord, because the grave is emptied, because your son Jesus is risen. Amen.